Good morning. Go ahead and find your seats. If you're still over enjoying breakfast, come on over. We're going to get started. And uh, we're off to another great day of parenting wisdom. So we got a lot of great feedback last night. Um, It was wonderful to hear uh, different ways that folks were impacted by what we learned from the Word. Uh, I know I was, and I was just talking to someone. It's nice to go home and be nicer and more loving to our children. <laughs> I'm sure we all did a little bit of that last night. Um, so if you are here this morning, but you weren't here last night, which is I think a few of you, um, we've got some more sessions today, and I want to encourage uh, the questions And make sure to please write down your questions, text me your questions, hand them to me during lunch, and we'll spend a lot of time just going over things that are on your mind, um, challenges that are taking place in your marriage and your home, and um, we'll do a kind of a moderated portion and then an open mic portion. So we want to be sure that everybody gets their money's worth in that sense. Um, so, so, so be sure to jot those down as you're listening. If it provokes something in your mind um, that you want to ask Robert or Tracy about later, let's be sure to get to all those questions. Um, I wanted to highlight a few books that we bought just for this seminar um, that are for sale in the back. And um, you can just, it's kind of self-pay honor system. There's little prices on the back and just put it in an envelope and check book and drop it in one of these two boxes in the back. Just help yourself to the book table. Um, But one of the books that everyone was handed as you came in is this little one, The Duties of Parents by J.C. Ryle. So you should have all received a free copy of that. This book, do not let its short length deceive you. (laughs) It is an encyclopedia of wealth and wisdom from Oh, gosh, late 1800s, J.C. Ryle. Is that about right, Wayne? And if you have not ever read J.C. Ryle, um, Holiness, Old Paths, just an incredible, wise, biblical pastor, and he's done this little booklet, Duties of Parents. Um, I think this version is actually updated English, so you don't get the old Anglican and these and nows, but um, it should be a little easier to read, and that's just really helpful. You can read it in about 15 minutes, but it can really change your whole life with parenting. Um, If you have younger children, elementary age, especially toddlers, if you're new to parenting and don't have kids yet, this is a great read, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. This helps you get not just, uh, well, last night Robert talked about honor and attitude, or uh, attitudes and actions, sorry, Um, obedience and honor. So if they're just obeying, that's great, but we also want to get to the heart issues behind their disobedience, and Ted Tripp does a great job with that. His brother, Paul, um, has somewhat of a companion version if you've got middle schoolers or teenagers. This one's focused more on parenting teens, so if that's the stage you're in, pick up Age of Opportunity, and you can see just in the title, the whole focus of the book is not to see adolescence as this big, daunting, scary life stage of challenging parenting, but of an opportunity to flourish and experience just the joys of teens and the blessings that they have and see it all as a positive. If you only buy one book, I would say buy The Faithful Parent. The emphasis here is faithfulness as a parent, and he's kind of more saying, look, look, whether your kids turn out perfect or not, or whether they end up following Christ or not, you can still be faithful because that's God work. It's like sowing the seed, just faithfully sowing the seed, and how they respond um, is really up to God and uh, a work of God. And so this is Um, emphasis on the parent. And if you're looking for practical, this is probably the best balance of biblical with practical. Um, And the the chapters in the table of contents, I mean, he just goes through uh, the infant, the toddler, the preschooler, school-age child, teenager, uh, and then chapter eight, parents who provoke. (laughs) We had a lot of discussion about that last night. Parents who provoke. So that, that could be helpful. Um, And one last suggestion um, would be, 
this, this is not parenting, but this is like your actual family devotionals. If you're wanting to start that or if you are already doing that, um, my wife and I have done a lot of these and some are better than others. But the one we've had the most consistency with, it's called theology. So it's kind of a fun way to say theology. Um, but the story is, it, it's, it's, it's basically these kids kind of find this old book buried, and it's the, the ancient truths. And it's just, it's really biblical theology going through all the major topics of Scripture in one or two pages. And this, we have ages 6 to 16, and we try to read this at the breakfast table a couple days a week. And to cover that range, age 6 to, six, six to 15, this is the only one that kind of, <laughs> has application to all of them. Um, And then there's great family devotionals, some younger, some older as well, that you can find out there. Um, So that's what's at the book table. Um, I think that's it. Your kids, I don't know what reports you got last night. (laughs) Um, It was a a little bit survival last night, I know, but it is dialed today. It's like a mini vacation Bible school. Um, we've got two adults over there that we didn't have last night. <laughs> two adults and lots of teens. There, there's probably ten helpers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think I'm hurting more than helping, Brad. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're going to have fun today, and uh, I think it'll be a little more structured and uh, dialed over there. We've got Full Belly Deli coming for lunch. Um, and I think that's it. So we, I promised we would have some fun little icebreaker intros, and we're going to kick it off with um, comedian Trey Kennedy uh, portraying a middle schooler. And if you don't have a middle schooler, you can at least remember this when you were a middle schooler. Under 500, now under the video. Hey, kiddo, what are you Dad, Dad, stop! Knock first! I'm making TikToks! I don't need to knock knock, you don't need to TikTok! Okay, say cheese. Mom, do we have to do it? I do it! Okay, did you get it? No wait, do it again. How about you say grace for us? Why? Because I asked you to. I don't want to. Young man, just do it. (laughs) Dear God, thanks, amen. Are you serious? What? I prayed! Dear God, I'm too late! Get up! What? Woo! Help from school! Throw it. What? Pick it I up and put it down throw. right. Okay. Young man, is that better? Watch it. Go to your room. Go to your room. It's full. It's full. That what do you want? That's full. That it's full. Run it. Come here for a second. What? You know how much we love you, right? Oh my God. Right? Yes, I love you too. I guess. What else? And how proud we are of you. What's the point of this? Is that a zit? What? Puberty. Stop! What? That's weird. Do you have armpit hair? Come on. Oh my gosh, mom! Yeah, you stop! Got some hair on your nugs. Oh, <laughs> you guys are the worst! Come here, sit down. What? Did you TP the neighbors? No. No. Did you? No, I didn't. Well, why is all the toilet paper gone? I'm... Maybe you pooped too much. Excuse me. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You will go apologize. No, 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 no. Hi, I'm Miss Flanderson. Um. Sorry to feed your house. Excuse me. What? No, I was. I didn't know it. Young man. What? I know you're avoiding your chores. Oh, I'm, I'm going to the bathroom. No, get out now. Come on. Oh, so now I'm not allowed to poop? And can I can't even poop? Quit saying that. Are you? Okay. Turn the lights off. Oh my god. Don't man. I'm doing work. Are you kidding me? Do your homework. Oh my gosh, I'm like almost done. I'm hungry. Oh my gosh, what, what is that? What? It's an acorn. Some kid taught me at school. What? Well, don't do it again. Why? It's fun. I will pull this over. What? Stop, man. What? Have you finished your homework? You know, no, I didn't do my homework. Because I don't need to do my homework to be a YouTuber. Yes, you do. Jake Paul didn't do his homework. What do you want for dinner? Mm. Okay, I'll make spaghetti. I don't want spaghetti. Well, then what do you want? I don't know. What? I don't know. I don't care. I'm making spaghetti then. Uh, No, I don't want that. Coaster. I'll be right back. It's fine. Coaster. Now. Oh my. What? Now. Really? 
Because you must oh, like it. Did you made me do that? Mom can say that. Well, it depends on your behavior. Oh my god. Why do you always say that? Yes. yes or no? Okay, then no. Oh. <laughs> I don't have much sympathy for you then. What do you mean? You're so mean. I hate myself. Oh my god. <laughs> oh gosh, that video is so classic and so funny and so true. So good to have you guys. Um, welcome back. I wanted to just fill you in for those of you who, who might not have been here last night. Um, Rachel was our pseudo child and, and came into our lives at 13. So, oh good, she's here tonight. I had to tell you just a couple other Rachel stories from from when she was young. I, I want to tell you this, and this makes me laugh because I promise you she can still do it. When we first knew her, she was all into gymnastics. And she would constantly, in our house, practice her floor routine. And I remember doing all these steps in her floor routine. And I promise you, Rachel, could you still do the routine today? <laughs> I know. She still remembers it, and she still used to do all these things. But one of my favorite memories of Rachel is... We had our, see, we didn't have cell phones back then. When she was young, we didn't have cell phones. So she came one night, and she's going to be embarrassed by this one, but we were doing youth group, and we were trying to get the youth kids involved, and so they'd help sing with worship, and Rachel showed up to our youth group with a pager. So she had our new pager, and she was like, I got a pager, and she was all excited. Well, then we're singing in the middle of worship, and in the middle of the worship, dee-dee-dee, dee-dee-dee. Her pager goes off, and you see Rachel just, oh my gosh, in the middle of a worship song, she's getting paged, and I think, Tracy, is there truth to the fact that, did she have somebody intentionally page her? She did. <laughs> intentionally page her. <clears throat> 14. So that everybody could see she had a pager. It was so funny. Because <clears throat> she came from gymnastics and wanted everybody to know she had a pager. One of, I know. One of my other favorites was she just wanted to go to Masters University, the college back then. And back then, Masters was pretty easy to get into. Like, they were begging for students. They were always under. And, and Rachel applies to Masters, and she's at our house. And her mom calls to tell her she got a letter in the mail from Masters that she didn't get accepted. And so she's on the phone. I didn't get accepted and runs into the bathroom, and she's bawling in the, our bathroom. And I remember going in there, Rachel, I'm knocking on the door. What? Just, Rachel, what? Just open the door. Okay. I go in there, and she's sitting on the counter, and I just remember talking to Rachel. It's okay, sweetheart. What kind of idiot am I? I'm so stupid, I can't even get into Masters. And then it was 30 minutes of her just going, I can't believe, of all places, how could I not get into Masters? But we pulled some strings. And we were able to get her in, and, and uh, we knew some folks, and we got her in, and the rest is history. She did great at Masters, and by God's grace, that's where she met John, and we'll go into dating a little bit next time, so that we're a part of. All right, last night, we read through just a quick recap of Ephesians. We talked about obedience. We talked about honor. Our role as parents is to not provoke. And we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And John touched on it. Just my first question for you this morning is, we talk about parenting, and we all want to know if we're doing this right, and, and are we being successful? So interactive time, what, what, why, what ways do parents determine or think that their parenting is successful? How do we determine if our parenting is successful? If our children do what we want, good. I, what else? College admission. College admission. We got them in their sport. They get a scholarship. They're on their way to college, whatever it is. Good. Yeah. We look at how they are compared to... We're not doing too bad, honey. Did you see, did you see Susie yesterday? She was a nightmare. But at feedback, we always look for that. We're always encouraged when they're a disaster at home and then, you know, some babysitter tells you they were perfect. Or you even send your daughter, she's older now, she's babysitting, and they say how wonderful she is. She's like, really? Good. This is all good stuff. Isn't it interesting that most of the time we determine our success 
on how our kids end up. And, and we usually determine the fruit of our kids or how they, they turn out as whether or not we did a good job. And Scripture does not speak to that. Scripture, in fact, talks about just our faithfulness as parents. Now, there are things we're going to train and teach them, but, but most parents view the results of their kids as the determining factor of success. And Scripture talks different. Now, there's different levels in Scripture, right? And we're going to just touch on this morning. There's theology right? What the Bible says. What is the theology of parenting based on what scripture says, which leads to in your home a biblical philosophy. So you, you see what scripture says. You then determine as a couple the philosophy you want to have in parenting. And you all do whether or not you believe it, right? You, you think this is how we're going to parent. You all have a philosophy, whether it's biblical and scriptural you know, that's for you to figure out. But the hope is, what does Scripture say? We determine a philosophy uh, coming off of Scripture. And thirdly, that leads to a methodology, how we practically um, use that. And what, what is interesting is Scripture doesn't say a whole lot in regards to parenting. And you know what's great about that? There is great freedom in your parenting. There's great freedom in your parenting. Your family is very unique and different than my family. We all need to get the theology right, but then there is room for personality and preference as long as it is pointing kids to Christ. We need to get the theology right. You as a couple need to be on the same page and talk through your philosophy and then determine your methodology. Now, let me just give you quickly some examples of methodology. Methodology might be this. Um, we are a disciplined family. We put our kids to bed. They're, they're down, and, and at 7.30, they're asleep. And then you go visit some friends who have kids the same age, and they don't put their kids to bed till 10.30 at night. And sometimes we as parents might look at that and go, whoa, what kind of parenting is that, right? They're, they're undisciplined, and what is going on over there? But there's nothing in Scripture, period, that says kids need to go to bed at 7.30. And we sometimes make decisions on what the way people determine their methodology and, and think whether that's right or wrong, but they have the freedom to do that. We have a couple at our church that for years, their kids would almost just fall asleep on the couch. They never put them to bed, and then they would go to sleep. And I remember scratching our heads going, what, is what are they thinking, right? I, I couldn't handle that. I like the kids being down, and then I get some time with my wife and be organized, but that's what they chose to do. I know, thank you. That's what they chose to do. And it was okay. Their kids are doing well, and then eventually they kind of figured it out. But that's a methodology. Where we live, I think it's probably a little bit bigger than up here, but schooling is a big deal in regards to methodology. We've got a, a contingent of folks that have Christian, we have a, a strong, we have a Christian school that people send their kids to. We have a group of families that send their kids to public school. We have a, a group of families that homeschool their kids and the fourth one that's come in now is charter school, right? And parents have all these opinions about schooling. And we sit there and think that the choice that I make in schooling my kids is going to be the best thing for my kids. It's a methodology. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about how to school our kids. Nowhere. And yet we get in these factions about how we do things and what to do. That is the freedom you have as a family. And we'll talk a little bit more this afternoon about schooling, that there are things to think through, but it's a methodology. I can give you examples of public school kids at our church, both good and bad. Some that are doing well and thriving in that environment, and others that are really struggling. I can give you the same in homeschooling. I can give you, show you examples of kids that flourished in homeschooling and others that struggled immensely. So it's a methodology. Don't get caught up on that. That is Christian parents focusing on school as if that is going to make their kids turn out okay. So tonight, or not tonight, today, this morning, we're going to look at the theology of our parenting. What are the non-negotiables that must be taught to our kids? And, and here's the key things that we're going to look through this morning. There is a solid, solid link in Scripture between this. We need to first teach our kids fear of God. Fear of God. And then that fear of God we hope, leads to wisdom. Leads to wisdom, which in turn leads to obedience. And then in the midst of obedience, there's many times they're going to fail, which gives us an opportunity of repentance, which will be the fourth one. 
And with that, we hope and pray that it leads to salvation. So it's the fear of God leads to wisdom, which leads to obedience, which gives us an opportunity for repentance, which leads to salvation. Parenting is the process of training in the first four and praying like crazy for the fifth. All right? Parenting in the first four and praying, and, uh, praying like crazy for the fifth. So the first one, fear of God. What is that? Tell me, what, when you hear that, what do you think of? Particularly for our kids, what is fear of God? Honor, good. What did I hear? Reverence, very good. What else? Awe, very good. Is it, is it, should our kids be scared? Is, is fear sometimes scared? Can be, right? If our kids haven't given their life to Christ and, and they need to deal with sin and all of that, there should be a healthy fear of God that we're just determining that they understand that there's consequences, right? Christ talks about hell far more than he talks about heaven. Hell is a reality. And if they're going to continue down that path, they're going to stand before God and be held accountable to that. So there is a sense of that, of dread, awe, terror to a non-Christian. There should be. And, to, and with our kids as they grow, we do hope that there's an honor, a respect, an accountability to God, that they stand before God and are accountable, a knowledge of God, a recognition of his power, and a recognition of his authority. A great verse that talks about this is Psalm 111.10. Write that down if it's not there. You need to remember this. Psalm 111.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Did you hear that? It just, that's the progression. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. You can see that this verse crystallizes and consolidates the first three. So we see that fear of God to wisdom to obedience. It's all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 1.7 and 9.10 both say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 and 2 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you so that you, your son and your grandson, might... Fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments all the days of your life. Exodus 20, 20, right after the Ten Commandments were given, Moses said to the people, God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the fear of the Lord is where it all starts. It all starts in our kids from a young age on up, uh, teaching them to fear the Lord. So my question is, if you want an obedient child, if you want a wise child, the first thing we need to do is train them and teach them in the fear of God. What is the fear of God? How do you teach the fear of God? I would even tell you, I, I, I was thinking last night, there's a lot of families represented and, and some younger, some older. Um, and, and we're focusing on teens. But listen, this starts when they're young. You know what I get frustrated by with children's Bible books is they tend to try and bring God down to a level that a kid can understand. Does that make sense? I always use this. I, Tracy, I just saw it in the book that we were reading with, with Colby in Brooklyn. There's a, a Bible verse about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, not a Bible verse, but a passage. Everybody knows the story of Christ feeding the 5,000. And the story to the children is the boy who shared his lunch. And you're going, okay, it's very nice. That boy could have selfishly kept his bread and fish, and it's very kind of him that he shared his lunch. That's not the point of that passage. This is Christ miraculously multiplying food so that, that uh, he could feed 5,000 men, which probably meant 20,000 people, right, with wives and children and all that. It's a miracle. And listen, when, we're, when our kids are young, we need to paint a picture of God who is big and majestic and all of that. And by the way, if we think we're going to make God understandable to our six-year-old, do you understand God fully? There's many times I'm going, whoa, that just blows my finite mind. I don't understand how God can work all that out together. We should be constantly blown away. So why do we feel the need to bring God down to a level of a child? Make God big. Make God majestic. Make God great and wonderful. And the same with your teens. We need to teach them who God is, what God has done, what God will do, and what God expects. 
And I had mentioned last night, um, I used to wonder about the lack of discussion on parenting in Scripture, but then I began to realize that my role is simply taking everything in this book, everything in this Bible, and teaching it and passing it on to my kids. So as I am in the Word, I need to be blown away by who God is and need to talk with excitement to my kids. Look at God. Look what He's done. When God is faithful in your life, kids, look at what the Lord has done. Look at how He has worked. And, and all of that, taking that joy, you guys pursuing Christ with all your heart and simply taking all that it is, you, first of all, my point would be, you need to be fearful of God. And then you simply pass that on. So you take all that knowledge and wonder and pass it on to our kids. We need to take the depraved mind of our kids and teenagers where they're completely focused on themselves and turn their focus to God and fear him. John MacArthur says this, the fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. And our kids are consumed with themselves. How can this be done? Just practically. If I can just encourage you, you need to be discipling your teens. This is Deuteronomy 6. You need to be talking to them. You need to be um, reading books with them, sharing scripture with them, telling them all the great things the Lord has done. Um, it, it is your responsibility, parents. It is not the role of the church. It is, the church is going to come alongside you, but I'm saying your primary role as parents is to teach and train your kids all about scripture. And, and I talked a little bit last night. We tend to spend hours and hours on things like, for me, with my kids, it was basketball or softball or whatever. And then we struggle to talk about spiritual things. And that should be the exact opposite. Jesus Christ should be the most important thing in our lives and the most important thing we talk about with our kids. All that other stuff is nonsense and secondary. We're going to talk even about sports this afternoon. My kids are older now. And sports has become so much in the, my rearview mirror. It, was, it felt so much more important to me when they were in high school than they do now. Did you have a question? Yeah. It's a, how old are we talking? Yeah. I, I would tell you, when they're younger, I, I would make that time... I, I would tell you at 10 years old, it is what we are doing as a family and make it incredibly fun. If you're going to just sit down and read boringly to your children, I would dread that also, right? We used to, at 10 years old, you know, just talk through it. And if you have younger kids than 10 to, we would act things out. We would, you know, go through the story of the walls of Jericho and take all the couch cushions and build it and show our kids how we'd walk around and we'd blow horns and we'd do whatever and then we'd throw the things and we'd wrestle on top of it and make it fun. Make it, particularly when they're younger, we'd put them in costumes and have them act out. And I would just read through scripture and take one of my boys and say, all right, we're doing David and Goliath. And I would just read the passage and say, you're David and, they, and you're Goliath or whatever. And when I'd say, and David said, blah, 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 and I'd read it right from scripture and my young son would say it to Goliath just like you would. But make it a great, I tell you at 10, Make it fun, talk about how important it is, but do it. Even if they don't want to, I would do it at that age. You need to. And, and make it a blast. Make it a great thing. Secondly, you need to have your teens connected in youth group. Have them connected to the church. And can I encourage you on this? Every youth group is different. I know John has told me a little bit about the youth group here. I don't really know the youth group, but I'm sure it's similar to every youth group that exists. I tell parents all the time, how many kids do you think are genuinely saved in our youth group? I don't know. It's probably filled with mostly unsaved kids. So there's going to be bad things. They're going to be mean. Stuff's going to happen. If you're expecting that we send our kids to youth group and it's a perfect environment, I'm sorry. Church isn't a perfect environment, right? We have issues with each other that we've got to work through. But make youth group a priority and work with your kids. Don't make them a victim. Help them to understand that, that uh, they need to be part of it and work hard to get them there. I, I talk to parents all the time. When their kids are disconnected, they don't know anybody, they don't have friends. I've said over and over again, make them come and watch what happens. And, and it's awkward for a month make them keep coming, and eventually something triggers that they're now connected to a student. 
Make it, don't miss camps, right? If you miss a camp that they're doing, if you miss a camp, then they're going to come home. What do all the kids talk about? And now they're even more disconnected. And you know what? Camp's an incredible environment because they have to leave and go and they ride on a bus maybe or whatever it is and they don't know anybody and it's hard. By the end of camp, they've got a group of friends that they can be connected with. But I'm blown away because I look at parents all the time and say, if your kids are not connected to church via youth group, why are you going to be surprised when they go off to college and they stop going to church? Why are you surprised by that? Church is incredibly important. Prioritize the local church. Prioritize it. Sports is fun. Don't miss church very often for a sport. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying you can't every so often miss church because of something that's unique. But if your child is doing something that involves many weekends where they're missing church, don't be surprised that when they grow up, church is not a priority. Don't be surprised you've modeled it for them. Prioritize the authority of Scripture. When they're young, it's important. This is God's Word. As they grow, this is the Word of God. Students, sorry, I, I talk to students all the time. Children. Our children. They are a student potentially, but I wouldn't refer to my kids as students. But show them from Scripture why you make decisions. Particularly in those middle school, high school years, it is an amazing time of explaining to them why Scripture matters and why we make these choices as parents. And you know what? We talked about methodology. There might be decisions we make as a couple that I can't find a verse. And I, but I say, we say, this is the decision we made as parents and, and sweetheart, son, let's look at Ephesians. You need to obey. And, and we talk through that. But prioritize Scripture. It's just important to build, by the way, you need to be pursuing Christ with all your heart. And, and if you're mediocre right now in your spiritual walk or you're not prioritizing all these things, don't expect your kids to. You're modeling it for them differently. But if, if Christ is your most important thing and you're pursuing Christ, it should just bleed out of you naturally. That's the hope. It just comes out all throughout the day in Deuteronomy 6. It comes in maybe formal times, but go after Jesus Christ Model it for your kids and just share what you're learning with your kids all day long. The fear of God then leads to number two, wisdom. Back to that verse of Psalm 11, verse, 111, verse 10. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 and 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Define that for me. Good? Really good. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Yep. Good. Anything else? His discernment, good. His is in God's or your child? Yeah. Good. Really good. That's a great, great summary. I, I love the term, it's the skill of living life. Okay, so what we do is we're teaching our kids um, all about who God is, and it's them then having a knowledge as they go through life, right? They, they now have a knowledge of the facts that they're involved in right at that moment. Then they have, hopefully, discernment to think at that point in time, what would the Lord have me do in this circumstance? What would the Bible call me to do? And with that, then, have the resolve to act on it. Okay, so it's now beginning to take all of this knowledge of God and practically apply it to life, to life with your kids. And, and this is what happens all day long. It is the ability to take that understanding of Scripture and apply it to life. I laugh. I, I mentioned a little bit last night. How often, when our kids disobey, do we say to them, what were you what? We say that all the time. What were you thinking? And the reality is, they weren't. <clears throat> or they didn't want to. They knew what was coming, and they knew they were disobeying. 
but we're just curious what was going on in their minds. And, and it's because that is the practical outworking of you made a decision and acted, what was going on in your head during that time? Like, what, what, let's walk through that and the choice you made. You lied in a big way. Why? And you can walk through it. You know why kids lie. I wanted to do it, and I didn't want you to find out. I didn't want to get in trouble. But you have the opportunity to walk through with them, show them in Scripture, the, you know, how God hates lying and all of this stuff. And you can walk through Ephesians 6.1 with them and say, do you want a blessed life? This is a not a good thing, and you, you do all of that stuff, um, and so we're, we're always wondering what's going on in their mind. Proverbs 2.6 says this, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We teach our kids scripture and who God is, and then we help them to apply it to their life. Listen, this is the primary thing that we're doing with our kids at this age. Um, it's interesting. A lot of times you'll find with, with particularly high schoolers, we found this is a universal truth with our kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. You try and talk to them during the day, and you just get, oh, nothing. It's almost that video, right? You, you, get, you get, hey, how was school today? Fine. You know, it's just nothing. You're, you're just, it's bouncing off a wall. You're getting nothing from them. And then we found with our kids, we'd be trying to go to bed at night, whatever, it's 1030, and you get a knock on the door at 1045, and one of your kids wants to come in and talk. And you can't shut them up at that point in time, right? It's just blah, 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 blah. And you're sitting there doing everything you can to keep your eyes open. You're exhausted. You have to take advantage of those times. You have to talk with them. Because when they want to talk um, is when you need to do it. And usually they want to talk about when they've been wronged or something has happened to them at school and it's circumstances they're going through that, that they feel maybe things happen, whatever it is, take full advantage of it. And we talked last night a little bit about discipline and instruction. It's really important with this. You want, again, for that discipline time, when your kids make a bad choice and we're wondering what they're thinking, they know what they did was wrong. If you've done your job in instruction, they know what they did was wrong. Make the discipline swift. Deal with it. Say, listen, here's the consequences for that. Let it, let it settle. And then later you can come back to them and say, now let's talk through that. Let's, let's walk through what was going on. And then you, you even, I'd even encourage you, you can go now and take, find a verse or two that would support where you're coming from, that you can show them from Scripture how their choice was wrong or whatever. But, but keep, that, um, keep that discipline instruction times to be a different thing. And then you spend all day instructing them. But Listen, you are going to spend countless hours when they are in, in the teenage years of instruction. And there's going to be countless times of failing, but it's every opportunity for you to walk through every opportunity to then lead them. I obviously haven't taught you this. Let's do it. Or they just flat out know it and disobeyed, but you now know where their mind is going. We want them at least thinking, right? And walking through that process. Proverbs is an amazing book to walk through with your kids. I'd encourage you, Proverbs chapters one through seven are all about Solomon talking to his son, right? He's saying, my son, look at this. My son, look at that. That was a, a father teaching his son about life. And that's what we're trying to do in helping them make biblical wise choices. Fear of God leads to wisdom. And then we hope and pray that when they begin to grow in their wisdom, it leads to obedience. That same verse, Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. I love that progression. Deuteronomy 6, I read it earlier. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you so that you, your son and your grandson, might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments all the days of your life. Our expectation is they're growing and learning, and they're growing in their fear of God, they're learning wisdom, and you start to seeing fruit of obedience. That's our hope and prayer. I know it's interesting. Um, we're we're going to talk about men, but, um, you know, just watching now, having daughters, having a daughter that's been married, have another daughter who's on the pathway to marriage, who um, walking through with that young, the young men that were pursuing them, and I, I think I even did this with John, um, with Rachel, 
is, <clears throat> John, it's funny. I asked you a bazillion questions. I don't ask as many questions now because I want to draw out. We all want our kids, our girls, to marry spiritual leaders, do we not? And then as fathers, we tend to sometimes want to control that relationship when instead we need to let that young man lead. If this is the one for my daughter, I need to allow him to flourish. So I looked at him and I now go to him and I say, I want to know two things. What are your convictions in regards to the physical? And a lot of times they haven't clearly laid that out. I want you to, you just need to be detailed. I want to know what that is and I'll walk through it with them and then I simply say to them, now my expectation is you follow it. That's it. And if you've walked through those convictions, but it's so cool to have a freedom with a young man to look at him and say, this, I, I'm not going to control you. I want to see it happen. And that's our hope with our kids, that as high school morphs on, we've said a bazillion times to our kids, our time with you is running out. We love you and want the best for you. And why we want to work through this is you need to understand this before you leave our home. It's critically important. Our hope during these years is that our teens begin to obey not us per se, but who? God and his word. These years are really important for transition to happen. We go from the black and white and younger years to teens, and we need to say, this is the word of God. You need to come under the authority of scripture. Because if we just control it, and it's our rules the day they turn 18 and leave for college, they are on their own and don't have this biblical grid. And our job is to give them as much of a biblical grid when they're under our roof as we possibly can. So you have obedience, and and then it leads to our fourth thing, which is repentance. Repentance, because I do have bad news for you. Your kids are not always going to obey. Make a lot of bad choices. And we as parents get so frustrated by their bad choices. I just want you to take 30 seconds, just think back to you in high school. I... (laughs) We were knuckleheads. We were just dumb thinking of ourselves. And then we look and, and we, we, Wayne had said last night, the expectations we have for our kids are so high. And yet we didn't live the way they did. When we, we did not live what our expectations of our kids are when we were in high school. And a lot of times that motivation as parents is because um, we don't want them to make the same mistakes we did, Right? We look back and just have regrets. We have things where we're like, that was so stupid. And I realize how, how um, dumb it is now. And I laugh. I, I, somebody, we were talking about friends last night. And I laugh because we've told our kids all the time, listen, high school friends don't matter. You're going to public school, they don't matter. And 20 years from now, you, you might have one person you keep in touch with. They don't matter. But you, when you're dealing with your teenage high school kid, it's their world, right? And that's not true. I remember our son, Nathaniel. That's not true. Blah, blah, blah. He'd always tell, that's not true. And then I laughed because he actually gave his life to Christ in college at 21. And part of just even watching his repentance was he came back and he said, you guys were so right. I hate to admit it. I don't talk to any of them. They will figure that out. But in the midst of it, it all feels so important. But they're going to make mistakes. They are not always going to obey. And you know what's amazing? Every mistake is an opportunity. We tend to get frustrated by mistakes and frustrated by sin, but every time they sin, it's an opportunity. And now if their pattern of sin is getting worse and worse, now you start to get worried. But listen, our kids are sinners, just like we're sinners, and it's an opportunity to show them the gospel. And what we're going to do is walk through and try to teach our kids, when you make a mistake, when you sin, what does repentance look like? It is our responsibility of parents to show them what biblical repentance is. <clears throat> I love in Psalm 51, David, after he'd been confronted by Nathan, right, for the sin, think about David's sin with Bathsheba, right? He had an affair, an adulterous affair with a woman, and then got her pregnant, so brought her husband home from war um, to sleep with her so that they'd think the child was his. He wouldn't do it because he was an honorable man. So David gave him the orders to go back and take to the battle to kill him. That's pretty bad. I mean, that's a, that is a really difficult decision. And yet God says David was a man after God's own heart. And you know why the difference between David and then you look at somebody like Saul, 
I remember I'd read the contrast between the two of those men and think, what was the difference between the two of them? Because David made some horrific choices. And the difference was their heart after the Lord in the midst of those bad choices and their repentance. When you read Psalm 51, David says this, wash me, purify me, heal the bones you have broken and restore me. He was repentant before God in a genuine way. And then you turn to um, bad repentance with Saul and you look at 1 Samuel 15, where if you remember, Saul went and had a victorious battle and he was commanded specifically to wipe out everything. And yet he brought back Agag, the king, and the, the, a lot of the stuff from the battle that God clearly, through Samuel, told him not to do. So Samuel then shows up and, and confronts Saul on his bad choice. And, Saul, and he told, Samuel says to Saul, I told you to utterly destroy Amalek and all that he had. And then we, we see that Saul partly obeys. He spares Agag's life and the best of the animals in verse 9. And then there's a series of confrontations by Samuel. And in those confessions by Saul, if you look at verse, in verse 20, it says, I did obey. I saved the best to sacrifice to God. So he justifies his choice by saying, we saved the best to sacrifice to God, even though he clearly disobeyed what God had told him to do. And then in verse 24, he even says, I have sinned. Please pardon my sin. But what he was worried about in that whole process was how he looked before the people. But then he even says in verse 30, I have sinned again but he does not do the one thing that would have shown true repentance was go and do what God had called him to do. And so they go back and he was consumed with how he looked before the people. So he was just trying to make it right with Saul, I'm sorry, with Samuel, just so that Samuel would honor him before the people. And instead they come back and what Saul should have done was said, you are right, I was wrong and gone and killed Agag and all the animals, wiped them out. Should have done exactly what God said. But instead, he was justifying how he did it and what he did. So they went back before him. And who ended up killing Agag? Samuel did. Saul was not repentant. He was worried and consumed with how he looked rather than before God understanding that he sinned. Another great passage is 2 Corinthians 7, verses 7 through 12, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and how they responded correctly to Paul's admonitions. In fact, turn there to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 7. It says this, And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter... I do not regret it. So Paul had confronted them through his letter. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now look at verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So listen, we confront our kids and we talk to them about obedience and it is critically important that we begin to understand what their emotions are about. Many times our kids are sorry for being caught, sorry for the consequences, sorry for various things, but we want them to be sorry for the right reason not a sorrow that, oh, that the world produces, which leads to death, but we want them a sorrow that leads to salvation. So what is true repentance? True repentance is this. It is a recognition of sin. It's an acknowledging fault. And it's a desire to make it right. Paul says in that verse, they had a zeal to avenge the wrong. And it is reversing the impact of the sin to the extent possible. And then it is seeing their behavior change. They get it. They understand what happened, and they want to make it right. Yes. Yep. Start, repent, true repentance is, first, a recognition of sin, an acknowledging fault, a desire to make it right, 
reversing the impact of the, the sin to the extent possible that they can. And a changed behavior. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You know what's amazing? So often our kids don't want us to know because they're worried um, about getting in trouble and they're fearful of the consequences. And the most difficult battles you have with your kids is when they're trying to justify, they're trying to explain and, you know, this is why I did it. They're trying to hide as much as they can. And isn't it amazing if your child came to you and said, I am so sorry. I lied today. I did all this. I did, you know, all these bad things today. And mom, dad, I am so sorry. I want to go talk to that person and make it right. I need to tell you because I, I sinned against the Lord and I lied and I want to go. What would we do? Our response wouldn't be, I can't believe you did that lie. We would just hug them and say, thank you so much for being honest. Thank you for being repentant, right? We would, yet they don't see it that way. They see this false repentance, and that's the pathway they try to remain in. And it's getting them to genuinely understand it. And a lot of times, this takes work. And we talk about discipline being swift. But sometimes you're trying to figure out and get to their heart. So now, how do we get them to repentance? And it's working. Because what repentance is not, based on Scripture, is repentance is not sorrow. It's not emotion. It's not feelings. It's really not just necessarily the words of an apology. And it's not words in general. These are all possible elements or manifestations of repentance, but they not, do not prove repentance. In fact, these responses can hide the true condition of a, of a heart. It's so interesting because when our kids are little, a lot of times, like even in that video, when, you know, all the time, I'm sorry, right? And there is not a sorry bone in that middle schooler's body. They're throwing out words that, that they think, what, that... That's the attitude you get versus when one of your, you, your kids really understands. And it is a sweet process when they really get it and you just see their heart soften. And they come in and they say, I'm really sorry that I did that. And, and, and you ask them, what, what exactly did you do? I lied. And they're, now they're telling you. And it takes work to get our kids to get to that point of repentance. And we need to work hard for them to understand what real repentance is because that is something we can teach them and train them as parents. And here's why that it is so important for them to understand repentance with us because biblical repentance that we can teach them is the pathway to your child's salvation. Do you understand that? Us teaching and training them what real repentance is with us and others is a pathway for them to their own salvation. Because the reality is an adult who does not know how to repent must overcome that handicap when hearing the gospel for the first time, right? If an older person doesn't know what it means to repent, they've got to figure that out in regards to God. They haven't even figured it out in life. So we're trying to teach our kids that if they can know true repentance, when the gospel hits them in their heart, they know what to do with it. They know what it looks like. They know that it's just like they're genuinely sorry with us, they're now genuinely sorry with the Lord. So your pathway of helping them understand repentance is critical for displaying what true repentance looks like when they're faced with the gospel. Does that make sense? Really important. Theology matters. We teach our kids a fear of God, which leads to wisdom, which leads to obedience, and when they fail, it leads to repentance. These are all things that we train in, which brings us to point number five, which is salvation. Salvation. My question for you this morning, can you save your kids? You can't do it. I remember looking at my kids when they were young and thinking, I wish I could just get right to their heart somehow, right to see what was going on. And I wish I could really know what was inside of them because they can lie, they can fake, they can put up a good exterior. And I, that's what I was as a young kid. I was brilliant with my parents on faking things. And you just look at it 
and think, I want to get right to the heart of my kids. But you cannot save your son or daughter. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. What comes next? Not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift of God, not as a result of work. So it is a gift of God that he works in the heart of your son or daughter. You cannot make them confess their sin to God. You cannot make them repent to the Lord. The Lord does that. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. We, folks, as parents, cannot save our kids. Salvation is not a realistic goal of parenting. Do you understand that? It's not a realistic goal. Because what is a goal? A goal is something that I control. Right? If I told you today, um, I want to be a, a better skier. We're in Truckee. I'm an okay skier. I am no John Drawlinger. If I told you I have a goal to do these various things these offseason, and it required me to train, and it required me to practice, and required me to go out on the slope so that I can go do those things, everybody would go, that's a good goal. If I told you I wanted to go be the starting quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams next year, you'd all go, you're 53, right? There's no chance. I can work as hard as I can possibly work. I don't have a great arm. I've had surgery on it. I can't do that. That's not a realistic goal. Now, multiply that times infinity. We're talking about salvation. The salvation of your kids is not a realistic goal. Salvation is the hope and prayer of parenting. Do you understand that? To the extent a goal is achievable by your activity, salvation is not a realistic goal. Evaluating the success of your parenting on the salvation of your children is to base that evaluation on something that God controls and not you. Do you understand that? Many parents labor under the terrible guilt and a sense of failure for all the wrong reasons. If you have older kids that are not walking with the Lord and you're bearing all of this guilt because of it, that's wrong and false because it's God's responsible. I came to Christ, as, <clears throat> excuse me, as an 18-year-old, my freshman year of college. I grew up in a home with divorce, with unfaithfulness, with drinking, with all of that, and God chose to work in my heart. An environment that you would say is not a great environment for a person to come to Christ, and yet God worked, right? We're trying to create as much of an environment as we can, but ultimately, God is not up in heaven going, oh, no, I can't believe they did that as parents. I was on a pathway with that one to save him, but look what they've done to ruin the whole thing, right? God is going to work regardless. Now, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't look in and evaluate how you parented, right? There might be things we need to apologize for and, and go to our kids and make right. But too often, many parents gloat or take pride in the salvation of their kids, which they had nothing to do with. It's foolish pride, right? If I walk around, look at how great my kids are. And I'm looking at everybody else and how terrible their kids are. Look, I've done something incredibly right that they didn't. That is pride and taking away from the glory of God, right? And if you blame yourself... If your kids rebel, it is just as bad as being prideful in their salvation because God is responsible and God is in charge. So if you are punishing yourself because of things that happen and your kids are not walking with the Lord, God needs to work in their heart. It is not your fault. Do you understand that? As bad as pride is in their salvation, so is blaming yourself in their non-salvation because God can work in any environment. To take credit for the salvation of your children is to steal the glory of God. If you believe God sovereignly calls who he will call, then you must make the obvious application to your own parenting that you are not God. Do you understand that? So in conclusion on this, so how do I know if my parenting is successful? The evaluation of your parenting is whether you have trained your child in the way God has instructed you to train them. How have you done in teaching them the fear of the Lord? How have you done in walking through what Scripture says and what God says to teach them wisdom? How have you seen and taken that, teach them wisdom to see that wisdom apply into the form of obedience? And when they fail, and they will often fail, how do you do in teaching them how to genuinely repent? That's what we can control. He has not instructed, authorized, or empowered any of us to save our own children. 
It's a hard truth, but it's also a great relief. We need to teach the fear of God, biblical wisdom, obedience, and biblical repentance. We need to model, folks, the fear of God, biblical wisdom, obedience, and biblical repentance. If I can encourage you as a couple, what you do is you talk through what Scripture clearly says, look at the theology, understand you as a, as a husband and wife be poured into at this church so that you're learning and growing, and then you take what Scripture says and you figure out how as a couple you want to bring this into your home. And you talk through and walk through it and be on the same page as a couple. Talk through these things. Hold each other accountable. Pray. If I can encourage you on this, pray daily, all the time about your kid's salvation. Tracy and I have, have made it a habit since we were first married to pray before we go to bed at night. And that prayer for our kid's salvation was always on our heart for years and years and years. And by God's grace, and Wayne said it last night, he even teared up talking about his four kids that are, by God's grace, right, Wayne? Walking with the Lord. And I look at it and tell you, I, we have prayed like crazy for our kids. And to see four that are walking with the Lord, our oldest, is the greatest blessing I have ever received in my life. And it is not because we are the greatest people in the world. It's because we prayed faithfully. We strove to do whatever we could to raise them. But God ultimately did the work. And you know what's crazy? Most of the time, a lot of the time, that work done in their heart happened in an event outside of our home, right? You teach your kids all this stuff and you, you can't wait for the day they give their life to Christ and it's at a camp. You're going, wait a minute, I, come on. And yet, how prideful is that on us, right? And listen, have them involved in the church. There are myriads of people here. You as a couple don't have all the spiritual gifts. They need to be around people within the church. They need to be with their youth staff people. Listen, the youth staff here that are that people devoting so much time to pour into your kids when they're in youth group, you need to view them, that staff person, as your friend and ally. They want the best. They want the best for your kid, and we tend to not engage with them. And sometimes we even get offended, right? We're trying to raise our 15, 16-year-old kid, and some 24-year-old punk comes to me and says, you know, I noticed your kid did this. And our response is, you've never had kids. You haven't had a 16-year-old. And we get irritated at him. The church exists to help us in this process, right? Have them involved. Have other people pouring into their lives. And I would even tell you, even if a staff person says something different from what you believe, you hope it's not a biblical thing. If it is, you can talk about it, but it might be a methodology thing that is different than what you practiced. And it's okay. It gives you an opportunity to talk with them at why we do this as a family. But listen, the church exists to help you with all of this. Get them under the authority of the word. Show them the power of scripture and pray like crazy for their, sal their salvation. Your success as a parent is this. It is in your own obedience to the Lord in the midst of this process. And the results are all his, amen? It's what it is. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are the one and the author of salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us these precious young ones that are on loan to us uh, to call our children. I pray, Lord, that we as families would be faithful, Lord, to take what we're learning from Scripture and pass it on to this next generation pass it on to our kids, pass it on to others in the church. But Lord, as we specifically talk about home, I just pray that our kids would get this, that they would understand the fear of the Lord, that they would understand and, and grow in wisdom based on what scripture teaches them, that we would see them come under the authority of your word and begin to live life and to watch them flourish and, and pursue Christ with all their heart. That is our greatest prayer. Help us to be faithful as parents to honor you. And yet, Lord, we thank you that the results are yours. And, and we just pray to that end that, Lord, you would do a great work in all the students that are represented here, all the kids, that, Lord, you would save many, if not all. Allow them to go into this world and do mighty things for your name. And we just pray for that to that end. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Robert. <laughs> that was a great session. <laughs> Um, so we'll take a little bit of a break, but I, I, I can't help but piggyback on one thing um, and some of what Robert emphasized about the church. And 
on the parenting, uh, great emphasis on, on what it is and what it isn't, things you can be responsible for and things that God's responsible for. Um, but I, I, I'm almost going to get choked up. Um, the, uh, the, the influence of this church on our family um, and on me when I was young, growing up in a broken home, my, my dad was good at some things, not good at others. We're, we have a great relationship now, but during my teen years, when we had gone through a divorce, he just, it was a priority for him. Like, need to go to a good church, need to go to a good church. There was a little while there, we were commuting an hour and a half <laughs> to make it to a good Bible church there and back. And uh, the Lord really used that in my life. And I can tell you, for my, one of my sons, uh, my oldest, um, just even a few seasons ago, we were not making the best decisions as parents. He was on a ski team that did a lot of weekends, um, took him away on Sundays, and uh, Caleb kind of <laughs> got him going on the prayer list, and um, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's not skiing today. He's over serving and watching your kids, and his life's turned around, and our, our youth staff are just on fire right now. They meet every Sunday night or every one Sunday night a month at our house um, to pray for your students and every week for 15 minutes on Wednesday nights. And Caleb's a, a master of turnarounds, and he loves parents and loves your students. And I, I, I saw him do it again this week with another student in our ministry, and it just so if you're in a spot with middle schoolers or high schools where it's tough, like you've, you've got support and you, there's a backup plan, which is also God's plan, um, but I just, I just can't plug um, the work that's being done here enough and the joy it is to be a part of that. So, um, and the impact Robert and Tracy had on my wife, Rachel, same process through the church. So um, just want to encourage you with that, and uh, we'll take a little break, five minutes. We're running... Uh, a little behind. We all enjoyed that great breakfast. So five minutes. Let's restart at about um, some between 10:15 and 10:20.